0: This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 58 of the Rebel Author Podcast. This is How to Write Dialogue with Jeff Elkins. I am super excited because I have personally been listening to Jeff on other podcasts and I will uh, link to a couple of the episodes um, where his material is talked about. Uh, But in today's show, we'll be talking through tips and tricks to boost your character conversations as well as how dialogue can help deepen your characterisation. But first, to last week's question, which was, do you want to content market? Why or why not? Julie Westerfeld said, I'd like to. It's an interesting field and a way to promote my work. So why not try? I don't know much about the subject, though. I have to learn quite a bit before I try it. Uh, Cameron... uh, Cain said, Yes, I can't wait to dive into this. Meg Jolly said, Janet is a guru of content marketing. I uh, highly recommend her material. And I could not agree more with you, Meg. (laughs) She really is a guru. Ian Worrell listened to the episode at the gym and is going to have to go through it again more intensely as it sounded really helpful. Oh, thank you very much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And thank you everybody for your comments and your um, tweets that you sent this week. This week's question then is what character or book or movie dialogue do you like best? Is there a character that you absolutely love because they have fantastic dialogue? Is there a scene uh, that you loved, perhaps a villain's monologue? Yeah, what, what dialogue stands out to you uh, from all of your uh, reading, watching, listening over the years? book recommendation is nail your novel writing characters who will keep readers captivated by ros morris i um, have been binge reading this and i almost read it in one sitting Uh, it's fantastic Uh, and i uh, so fantastic in fact that i'm going to be bringing ros on the show in the new year to talk all about uh, character creation so i'll leave links in the show notes to that So in personal news then, uh, this is half term in the UK or at least it is in our county and so my mum's had atlas for a couple of days this week which has been fantastic because it's meant I got time to work even harder than usual. (laughs) (laughs) no rest for the wicked hey Uh, but I've used the time to try and catch up which I have done um, and just have some thinking space and some thinking time. uh, I realised that my life has been really overrun with administration work for the business and uh, as you know all I think you know I uh, managed to find a VA, a virtual assistant to help with the podcast uh, like background stuff um uh, but it's I guess it's kind of made me think about whether or not I need to get more help with other things as well uh so that I can spend more time doing the creative work the content uh, for you guys um and focus on the things that only really I can do so yes I guess I will see like I don't know like I- I'll I've got to see how this first few weeks goes anyway um So what else is new? Okay, so I did a planning day for 2021 with uh, my Next Level author podcast co-host, Daniel Wilcox, Um, and that was fantastic. We uh, planned out like a production schedule for the whole of next year, and it was really good to see that um even by giving myself some time off which I haven't had this year uh I can still get everything that I want to get done done Wow! I say everything like almost everything I'm gonna have to shove some stuff into 2022 the only thing is I think I need to reorder some of it I've got some financial goals that I would really like to hit this financial year and um in order to do that I think I have to swap around um I might have to swap around some of the, um, what am I talking about? Some of the projects because some projects obviously are more financially viable than others. This week, then, I managed to do my editing read through. So, before I start editing, I read through the manuscript without touching it. It's super hard to start with because obviously you see things that you want to change and uh, you can't. (laughs) You have to write them down. So, this was Trey, the third book in my uh, Young Adult Fantasy series. And um, so, like, I don't write down, you know, commas and typos or whatever. I just write down, like, character things, uh, consistency, tiny scene tweaks, emotional tweaks that I need to make, those kinds of things. But it does end up as quite a lot of notes. So yes, I am all ready to start editing in NaNoWriMo. Speaking of which, I am going, I have decided I am going to give NaNo um, a try. I am not going to aim for 50,000 words because I just don't need to i'm not sure if the book will be 50,000 words um but i'm going to be working on my next non-fiction book which is tentatively called uh, 11 steps to side characters how to craft supporting roles with intention power and purpose yeah i almost forgot the title i think that is the working title anyway So yes, I will be working on that and if I can get that done in NaNo, then I'll be super excited because I might be able to release it in the early part of next year. So that will be awesome. And speaking of NaNoWriMo, if you haven't gone and checked out the story bundle that I am part of, uh, then you really need to. There are 17 books in this story bundle and a course, and the course alone is worth about $150. And there are books on marketing, on writing craft, there are books on business and audio, and and writing synopsis, synopses, and descriptions and all kinds of stuff. So I highly recommend it. It's only $20. Actually, it's pay what you like. So you can, can, the minimum payment is $5 um, for one set of books, or $1,000,000 minimum payment for the other set of all of it is $20, but you can pay what you like for it. And um, yeah, it's it's an amazing bundle of books. I've read some of them already and yeah it is fantastic. I highly recommend it. And that's at storybundle.com forward slash nano. So I will put that in the show notes. Before we get into the interview Uh, Jeff, Jeff, the Dialogue Doctor, who is on the show this week, is giving all of you listeners a discount on his services. So he runs a one-hour chapter session which is typically $99. But if you include the name of this podcast, when you register, he'll give you 25% off. So I will include that link in the show notes as well. The thing to note is that Jeff has sent some recommendations for books and movies with fantastic dialogue. I'm not going to list them, but they are in the show notes. So if you would like to do some self-study with uh, dialogue, then he's got, um, I think, six recommendations for books and four or five recommendations for TV shows and movies. So those will be in the show notes as well. Listener Rebel of the Week this week is Bobby Ann Atwood. Bobby says, my inner rebel, when I was a teenager, I was not allowed to watch movies or shows or read books that had strong female leads. So when I got home from school, hours before my parents got home, I would walk the mile to and the mile back from the local library and hide stacks of books in my room. I love that. I love it because A, girl power and um, B, I don't know, I'm so surprised that uh, you weren't allowed to um, read books with strong female leads, especially because you are uh, clearly a strong female woman. So, yeah, I love your rebellion. Um, I I shouldn't say this because it probably become, but I do love a cheeky kid rebellion. Um, uh, So, yes, if you would like to be a Rebel of the Week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, big, small, or something in between. You can email your Rebel story to rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com or tweet me at rebelauthorpod. No new patrons this week, but a big thank you to all my patrons, old and new alike. You guys help to keep the show running. And as always, you do chip those bits of coal off of my uh, very dark heart. So yes, thank you so much for all your support, guys. And if you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. Okay? let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I am joined by Jeff Elkins. uh, For Jeff's day job, he leads the writing team for a company that simulates difficult conversations. As a side hustle, he's been writing fiction for six years. In that time, he's published over 10 books and over 100 short stories. His hope is to bring what he's learned about dialogue to authors to help them create fantastic characters and scenes that readers will love. Hello.
1: Hey, it's um fantastic to see to hear you do that in person because I love the <laughs> podcast so much. So I feel like I'm like sitting in some kind of like live studio tape of of like my favorite TV show. So <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it's hilarious. amazing. Yeah, I'm here geeking out a little bit listening to you do the intro. <laughs>
0: Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm blushing. I am like, genuinely blushing here. <laughs> I'm so glad this is not filmed. Um, okay, so I am super excited uh, that you're here and I'll explain why uh, when we delve into uh, the topic a bit more. But first of all, tell everyone a little bit more about you and your writing journey and how you got to where you are right now.
1: Yeah. So that's kind of a weird story. I feel like my writing journey is a little different than most authors. Um, I hated writing growing up. Absolutely hated it. Uh, until, um, I'm mildly dyslexic and my dyslexia comes from trying to get words on a page. So I, I, as a kid, I would write everything as a mirror image. Um, so, uh, English was the worst subject ever. And like anything doing with writing, I was just like, this is terrible. I don't want to do it. And I avoided writing any kind of fiction all through uh, high school and college and um, getting my master's degree. I just stayed out of it. Uh, And then I was in my 30s. It was like seven years ago. It was in my mid-30s. And I was uh, in a meeting uh, for a nonprofit I was working with, with the board. And I was trying to convince them of this change I wanted them to make and what they were doing. And um, I was going on and on at this meeting, and finally, one of the you know wiser, older guys that was in there looked over at me and was like, "Hey, Jeff, why don't you go and write all of this down and give it to us?" like a paper. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, yeah, that's a great idea." In, in hindsight, you know, this is a very creative way to get me to shut up. But it was <laughs> great, so I went and I wrote it down, and I wrote the whole thing down as this big allegory in this story, and I as I was writing the allegory I was like oh my gosh this is so much fun um and so I started writing in my mid-30s as a stress relief uh because it just felt so good to like get that story out and I spent a year just writing short stories um I was writing like two to three a night uh, a week uh just cranking them out Um, just sitting down for like an hour a night and just like hammering out a short story and loving it um and then from there, uh, transition to writing novels. Uh, and so, yeah, now, um, six years later, uh, there's 11 novels up um, and short stories kind of all over the place. Uh, yeah, and I, and I work um, five years, six, five, six years ago, I started writing full time for this company uh, that focuses specifically on Uh, simulating difficult conversations for professionals. So what we do, what I've been doing for the last five years is sitting down across from uh, a professional in some kind of field, whether they're in the military or in law enforcement, or they're a therapist, or like they're a peer counselor that works with uh, uh, opioid recovery or homeless um, recovery. I sit down across from them and I learn how they talk. Uh, We talk about how at at the company I work at, at Submersion, we're professional mimics. So we sit down and we learn how they speak to each other and what the ins and outs of their conversations, what makes those conversations hard, and then we replicate that. Uh, So all that to say... um, With the Dialogue Doctor uh, a couple months ago, I was sitting down with uh, Jay Thorne, who is an amazing author, both you and I know, and who's been on your podcast a couple times. So if listeners haven't listened to those, they should go back and listen to them because they're amazing. I think he's your only repeat guest, uh, and he's fantastic. So anyway, I was sitting with Jay uh, digitally, and he was like, you know, we were talking about kind of where my author career is and um, how being a rebel isn't really helping my sales at times. So (laughs) kind of what what I could do to give back to the author community. And I told him what I did for a living. And he's like, could you bring that to uh, authors? I was like, yeah, I can talk to people about how to write realistic and engaging dialogue. That's great. So uh, the dialogue doctor was born. Um, Yeah. So that's just, that's a quick summary of my weird author career.
0: I think it's amazing and um, I think your day job must be absolutely fascinating like I have a background in psychology and so for me I'm like oh my god that has to be the most fun job to like analyze the psychology behind dialogue and understand like motivations and just all the quirks as well like I there must be so much like such a huge source of inspiration as well for you um, like for your own characters.
1: It's great. And it's, um, you know, I think the, the best thing for me when it comes to like my personal writing at Submersion is um, the we write uh, nonlinear dialogue, which means anything can happen at any moment in the simulation. Um, what we specialize in is kind of uh, I call it artificial emotion. So we have an emotional model that uh, simulates human emotion in a conversation. Um, but we have to be ready for the for the simulation has to be prepared for uh, the character we're writing to take any turn in any second and build a, an emotional move in any moment. So uh, the, the, I think the best part for me in writing has been sitting with a character and saying like, okay, at this moment in the conversation, what if this character is feeling this way? and what this character's feeling this way what if this character's feeling this way and what this character's feeling this way and like coming to understand like okay at the, how is this character's dialogue going to change based on the emotional content of the conversation if it's in a thousand different directions like so uh, that's really been i think for me great in writing because it allows me to take my characters in my in my scripts and in my stories through an emotional process of a conversation uh which like you said i don't think is something that we as authors necessarily consider is kind of the psychology behind our characters and how they're moving and how things are changing around them and how that impacts them
0: amazing and i've definitely just written down another question that
1: i'm gonna throw at you later bring it on! yeah
0: Okay, so we are here to talk about dialogue. And I know we've just mentioned a little bit um, about Jay, uh, but I'm going to just tell listeners um, some specifics. So I heard about you, first of all, on the right as well, which, to my absolute horror, is no more. Um, That's but, a tragedy. Oh that my god, it is. I my I am still bereft. Like I'm having to go back and re-listen to episodes weekly just because I need to have
1: them. In it, my I do head. wait. I do still wait for my new episode on Thursday, know, and it's I like, know. oh, it's not coming. Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, so Jay and Rachel talked about how to create dialogue, and it's one of the only episodes I immediately went back and re-listened to uh, because it was so chock full of advice I've even shown you the little uh, note that I carry around because I thought it was so good Um, and so for listeners that was episode 183 of the writers well and I will link to that in the show notes and then I heard you as a guest on the career author podcast which was episode 143 and I think they are fantastic episodes, so I am linking to those in the show notes uh, for uh, for listeners to go and have a listen to those as well, if they haven't had enough of you today. Um, Okay, so you've just released a new service all about dialogue, so would you like to tell everyone a little bit more about that service before we delve into some tricks and tips uh, to improve uh, writer's dialogue?
1: Yeah, absolutely, I'd love to. So what I'm doing with dialogue, uh, you can find it over at dialogdoctor.com, and uh, I'm, helping authors by sitting down with them, taking a piece that they have and looking at their dialogue with them. So uh, the way the service works is you send me um, 500 to 2,500 words and then we schedule an hour. Uh, I give you a ton of edits and um, those edits are all focused on and geared toward um, not just improving that individual piece, but helping you learn um, how to improve your dialogue over uh, all of the work you're going to do moving forward so my goal is that like if you if I can spend an hour with you and teach you like three things about dialogue or four things about dialogue that are going to make you a better writer moving forward um that's my goal uh dialogue is that the thing that engages readers in your work more than anything else more than a thrilling plot more than a um you know dramatic turn more than uh, a fantastic dragon, or the greatest spaceship ever, or like the the best world building you've ever done, your character, the words coming out of your character's mouth is what's going to create intimacy with your reader. Uh, so if I can help you do that, I, I, your enga- reader engagement is going to go up. Um, so that's my goal I sit with you we sit for an hour we talk about your piece uh, and work through it together um, and talk about your characters and the dialogue and how it works uh, but yeah so the service is pretty simple uh, and uh, people can find it at dialogue doctor.com uh, and I'm having fun it's been amazing to meet uh, a tons of authors and talk about their work um, I love <laughs> But I, selfishly, uh, I get a lot of joy out of helping other people see their dreams and like fruitions come to life. And writing is so personal for us, right? Like mm-hmm. we're literally like bleeding on the page. And so to take, to sit down with somebody who's like s- invested themselves in these characters and these stories and um, help them bring those characters, bring what's in their brain out. Because uh, the thing about dialogue is that um, with, you know, some technical tricks and then learning to empathize in ways and learning to feel the energy of the piece, you can really take what's in your brain and make it come to life and just bring it realism, uh, and make it more dynamic. So, uh, I don't see what I'm doing is actually like adding anything to anybody's script. I see it as just coming alongside you and helping you take what's in your, in your head and bring it onto the page in a more dynamic way uh so yeah so that's what i do and uh it's fantastic to sit with authors and i read their stories and hear what uh hear what they're doing and um help bring their characters to life it's it's a lot of fun
0: amazing and i know people who have used your service and are raving about it so (laughs) i am green with envy and i can't wait to uh to send you something and 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 uh yeah have a session with you okay So let's dive into dialogue then. What are the most important elements in creating good fictional dialogue?
1: So this is, this answer may be, um, may not be what uh, people are thinking to hear, but um, this is kind of Jeff speak. When I look at dialogue, I look at empathy and energy. Um, So empathy is uh, can i feel what your character's feeling does the do those feelings make sense through and it, are those feelings coming through in the dialogue energy is there's a there's a natural energy created when people talk um we are designed whether we love people or hate people introvert or extrovert we as creatures are designed to communicate verbally so when we get into uh, watching people talk, there's just a natural momentum that builds in the conversation in that dialogue. Whether that momentum has a positive energy or a negative energy, right, it's there. That that dialogue is taking that story somewhere. Uh, and so the second thing I, question, I look at for dialogue is like, how are you empowering the energy of your characters talking uh, to benefit your story in a positive way? Does your, is your energy, is your the energy coming from your dialogue flowing in the right direction is it helping you or is it uh, actually damaging your p pe- the communication of your piece so like how can we harness that energy and direct it in the right place and then you know how can we deeper uh empathize with your characters on a level that's going to create that intimacy for a reader mm.
0: so do you have an example of like um so you've talked i guess you're talking about yeah so do you have uh maybe an example of where it's limiting and the negative side like in
1: dialogue and so like the let's take energy first because i think that's the harder concept to grasp because that's kind of a weird you know i i know i I recognize i sound a little bit like an eastern mystic and i'm like there's an energy that you have to open the chakras of your writing oh that's not (laughs) That's so not what I'm talking about. It's actually a, a very uh, practical thing. You
0: mean so, we don't have to take psychedelics? and You, you don't know, have to take go. <laughs> right, yeah. So, the first step
1: to riding with great energy is shrooms. Um, no. I'm just kidding. I'm not encouraging drug use in any way, shape, or form. No, nor am I.
0: No. But I like, just. <laughs> it's funny to joke about it yeah
1: (laughs) um so yeah so when we're talking about the energy of your piece right it's that back and forth between two characters three characters or a group of characters that is gonna um build uh uh that um build that momentum and that flow of your conversation so like for example i was just watching this week this amazing show on the service hulu called woke Uh, That's a a new TV show. And some of my favorite parts in the show are where these three roommates are just sitting on a couch talking to each other because their personalities are hysterical and you can completely empathize with them. And there's just this internal energy of the piece that builds as they're sitting there. And by energy, I don't mean excitement. I mean this engagement where you're listening to three people talk. So ways that we break down energy, to go back to your question, like ways that we harm that is uh, disrupting the dialogue with pros. So, if your two characters are talking, and every uh, couple exchanges, there's a long block of you explaining what's happening in your character's mind. You you are disrupting my flow, and like as <laughs> the reader, and so like stop disrupting my flow and put that into the dialogue and let that dialogue do the work for you, right? Like that's a technical example of how it works. Um, when characters aren't, uh, when characters don't sound unique to themselves, and their voice is changing throughout the piece, it can really disrupt the inner the energy of the piece, because we're sitting, as the reader, we're sitting there going, wait, what happened to the person that I liked listening to? Who is this person now? Uh, Another example of things that I've seen authors doing um, is uh, repetitively repetitively giving us the internal thoughts of the character instead of just letting us feel those thoughts through the character's words. So by disrupting the verbal flow and like giving us your internal, your internal thoughts—it's a security measure for us as an author because we're insecure that other readers actually going to be able to hear what our character is feeling through the character's words. So we put in these uh, sentences and throw-ins of about how the character is feeling, and you know these internal monologue about what the what's going on with the character. And what that does is it pulls the reader out of the moment. And puts them in this mental headspace with the character, and then forces the reader to jump back into the moment where they're back into the dialogue again between multiple characters. So, the best, the what I recommend for people to really work on their energy, like an exercise you can do as a writer to work on your energy, is write a short story, conversation between two characters, come up with just a um, a conflict that these two characters are gonna have. So maybe it's a couple um, who, is, uh, who is getting separated and one of them's about to leave the house. Maybe it's a kid who's gotten in trouble with their parents. Maybe it's a uh, someone who has to tell who's doing a performance evaluation at work, right? Like find a conflict and then write the conflict dialogue between those characters using only dialogue. No prose, no he said, she said, no internal monologue, no thoughts just the dialogue and living in that dialogue, like that's gonna help you start to feel the energy of the piece. And you'll see how like disrupting it is pulling your readers out of their engagement. So if we can avoid disrupting it with like inserting paragraphs in between the dialogue, hold off like putting our characters internal thoughts Um, and just trust that we can communicate that through our characters speaking, uh, and then keeping our characters' voices consistent to who the characters are. That'll help uh, build the energy of your piece a ton. Those are some of the first things I look for when I'm looking at a piece. As far as empathy goes, the question is, like, is, is what your character's saying clearly representative of how your character's feeling in that moment, right? So if your character's in a super intense, if your character is someone who doesn't make jokes, Right. If your character is a serious character, maybe they're a little shy. Maybe they struggle to relate to other people around them. And you're in a highly intense moment and your character's cracking a joke, like that's out of sync with your character's voice. Um, at the same because in a stressful moment is your character going to suddenly become more extroverted? Like you, does that make sense? Like, so keeping your character in line with who your character is across multiple emotional states um, is, will add to the empathy of, uh, your piece and will further engage the reader. So, what I like to do with authors is start, uh, I call it a character wheel because I think of it as one of those like kids' toys where you could like turn the wheel to a specific thing and it would be like chicken, the chicken goes blah, 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 blah. And then you turn it, and be like cow, the cow goes moo, 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 moo. When I'm writing a piece, I'm thinking about it as that wheel and instead of animals, it's emotional states. So, when I turn my characters to like my is super vulnerable right now. Well, when my character's vulnerable, my character goes blah 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 blah. Right. So it's that my now my character's really stressed out. When my character's stressed out, it goes blah 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 blah. So what I like to do to build the empathy of your pieces, we start kind of at the middle of your character. And we say, what's your character sound like under normal circumstances? Just an everyday conversation. If your character is ordering a latte, what are what are the characteristics of your character's voice? And then we take your character. Along that spectrum to the right, where your character is experiencing deeper vulnerability and deeper openness. And we say, how does your character's voice gradually change, never leaving the root of what it is, but gradually build to that openness? And then we go in the other direction. How does it gradually build into times of extreme stress? So what uh, I encourage authors to do is build this spectrum of... Uh, which I call a character wheel, a voice of like, so here's all the circumstances you're going to put your character in, knowing that the root of your character's voice is always going to stay the same. They're never not going to be shy, right? Like they may grow over the time of books and that root may change, that character might develop over times of books. But in one conversation, right? Like if this is where their root is, how are we growing uh, the voice in times of different emotional states? So, back to the original question of like you know what are what are the issues i'm seeing in authors dialogues and what are what are ways that they can immediately improve right like if we can focus on the energy of our piece and not disrupt that energy and build a clear emotional model for our characters so that we know where our characters are going throughout the story um We then every dialogue our character enters whether it's with a side character or main character whether it's just a one-off you know quick thing that we need to do to move the plot forward or it's a real intense moment where we're going to reveal something personal about our characters uh if we come in prepared knowing that like okay i don't want to break up the energy of this i want to trust my dialogue to do the work that it's supposed to do and keep like engaging those readers in that way and i don't want to break up i i want my character to I want the reader to be able to empathize with my character. Uh, So I need my character to be true to who they are in their voice. If we can come in with that, uh, uh, most of our problems and dialogues will be fixed. Um, Yeah, so that's kind of where I start.
0: That's amazing. I'm like, there's so many things that that I could come back on. I think the first thing to say is um, I love that exercise of doing dialogue only so i think that's one way that writers can very quickly learn to differentiate their dialogue so um, i used to do uh, like an exercise just you know where you create a conversation just between two characters and uh, with none of the dialogue tags or whatever and you have to be able to know which characters are different and an easy way to start um i think developing your dialogue is to have two very conflicting characters because they would so obviously speak different so for example, you could have a police officer who's going to be very formal, uh, use certain um, you know, official words or whatever. And then you could have like, um, just because I'm British, you could have like a real cockney, you know, lander uh, and you know, they're obviously gonna speak very differently to a police officer. So and and in writing those and, and that sort of exercise that you're talking about, um, in terms of doing dialogue only, that helps. Well, you know, over time, it's helped me see the differences in the language and then be able to pick out those things to put it into my characters as well. And the other thing I wanted to um, just bring up is the um, I found it really interesting that you're saying, you know, to to keep the root of a character's voice, because I I think all excuse me, all characters, all people are very very consistent humans are creatures of habit um but we all have a breaking point so there are times where characters you know you can have a very shy character who doesn't really like to argue or be sort of very um outward and and that character can still snap and that might be part of their um character arc their change their development getting over their floor or whatever um and even if they snap and explode in dialogue you can still keep the heart of them and their original voice in that sort of explosion can't you
1: yeah i would actually argue that if your character isn't changing emotional state through your story there isn't enough conflict happening
0: yeah right exactly. like we
1: as readers we're showing up to see your character put through the ringer right mm-hmm. like to see your character struggle um whether that struggle be a humorous struggle or a tragedy like you know whatever i don't want the word struggle to sound you know heavy but we want your character to be wrestling with something. That's why we're coming to the story to like experience that wrestling match between your character and the world. So that means that your character's voice should be adapting based on the circumstances around it, because that wrestling match uh, is going to happen. And just, just to like, so just to take a step back for a second, because I realized like, okay, we just dropped a ton of stuff on an author and if you're a new author and you're like oh my gosh I have to like get a plot down and I'm like reading Jay Thorne's like book about plot and I got like choice choice uh you know circumstances choice and consequence going through my head and like I can't handle it like that's one thing I'm thinking about and then I know I like grammar is all in itself too and I don't even know where to put the punctuations before after the period I'm so confused and now you're talking about like energy and empathy oh my gosh what in the world so just to like just to back down a little bit, I love what you were saying about like the police officer and the Cockney person because where this starts, like if you want to just start writing better dialogue today, start thinking archetypes. Yeah, and practice writing archetypes, right? Because the the thing that a lot of writers struggle with is actually a, a phrase that Jay Thorne coined: is monomouth. Is that? Yes, all, yeah. That was
0: person, my next question.
1: <laughs> yeah, so all of your characters sounding the same damages the energy of the piece because it sounds like one person talking to themselves the whole time. And it damages the empathy of the piece because we 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 want to empathize with different people. like We want to engage with different people on deep levels. And so um, if they all sound the same, we get bored. So, uh, and the problem we have as writers is that we have this story in our head and we've lived with these characters so, for so long. And when we put it on the page, they all sound exactly like us. So the question is like, how do we break out of that? And the the first way to break out of that, like, what I'd recommend doing is writing archetypes. Um, and if archetypes is to like- uh, Just explain uh, what
0: you mean by an archetype or give a couple sure. of examples.
1: Yeah, yeah. So like, like you were saying, like in my head, when I create the like ideal policeman, right? Like what does an ideal policeman look like? To me in my mind, that's the archetype of a policeman, mm-hmm, right? Like, mm-hmm. so and rather than saying like, okay, here, I'm going to jump into writing this character and here's what this character, uh, and this is what this character would say. Like just jumping into that kind of uh, writing exercise can lead to all of your characters sounding like you because you are you have all this other stuff going on in your head, right? Like plot and all those other things happening in your head. So you don't have time to actually distinguish the characters from one another. If you can start with an archetype, like a form, of a character i think of it as like and i like sitting down to a potter's wheel and you've got a big thing of clay and you know when you sit down like okay i'm going to try to make a vase right like so i have an archetype of a vase in my head it's the same uh with characters like i'm going to try to make this kind of character i have this kind of character in my head if you can't get an archetype down i recommend starting with somebody whose voice you know really well so Mm -hmm. like when I first started writing seven years ago started writing fiction I would write conversations between people I loved in tv shows or famous voices I'd be like okay I'm going to take this person's voice and this person's voice and I'll put them into this situation and I'm going to develop a story around that um so practicing writing different forms different archetypes can help you start to distinguish your voices the like that's kind of the 101 level when we get to where we can really do this naturally we start to shape unique characters and we move away from archetypes and we start to shape characters that are uniquely themselves. But the place to start, like if you're looking for like, okay, energy, empathy, crazy, I don't know where, what to do with all of that. The place to start is start writing some stories where you have different archetypes, different forms of characters that have just kind of base different voices and push yourself to write that. And that's going to lead you into, uh, that's going to teach you the skills you need to start writing unique characters.
0: Mm. I think I, I genuinely think that dialogue is such a hugely important part of creating um, a good book because I talk in the anatomy of praise I talk about the difference between author voice and character voice and character voice is their personality and you know if you if you want to create a character with depth with personality that is fully formed in a reader's mind you have to um think about what their voice is and that includes their dialogue their voice uh be it in in narration in uh in a thought whatever in the in the dialogue all has to match and so whatever their personality is should be their dialogue too um but i think that's That is quite a hard skill to master because you're trying to get that flow from, you know, all the way from the dialogue through the the narration as well. And of course, not all characters are protagonists, not everybody's narrating. So you then have to capture that, their personality through the eyes of your narrating character, you know, their voice through the eyes of a narrating character as well. Um, Okay, so how else can you differentiate? How else can you get rid of Monomouth?
1: Yeah, so starting with different forms and moving from there is important. Um, and it, the key is, so because we could talk about like editing techniques and like going back and reading your story out loud and all these things that like they encourage. But my goal for an author is that they can get the voices in their head so quickly that on the first draft, you can, you can get rid of mono mouth. Right, like, and that's the goal. So when I work with an author over long-term, like I've had the privilege of just doing full books with a couple of people. And when I work with them long-term, it usually takes about four weeks, four or five weeks to where they don't have to be using these weird techniques of like checking their writing. Right, so, it it and it is about learning to empathize with your character. Um, learning to ask, what's my character feeling in this moment? Um, so, once you have, like, the different forms set up, you understand that, like, okay, in different emotional circumstances, these characters are going to respond differently. And by distinguishing your characters from one another, you start to get to this place where you you move away from mono. Focusing on, like, what's my individual feeling in this moment of conversation? And what's this character feeling in the moment of the conversation? who feelings mean the response of those two feelings being different that will start to distinguish your characters not just from each other but from you as well mm-hmm. right so it's that goal of getting out of your own getting out of your own perspective and getting into the perspective of your characters they'll start to move their voices away from one another and away from you and create this more dynamic and rich conversation uh, and it all does start with empathy and again the goal is that you can start to do that on your first draft right? Like I don't, I don't want to be like, okay, so it takes five drafts because <laughs> who has time for that? So like <laughs> we want to sit down for the first draft and, and immediately have different characters. And it is. So the, what I recommend is really focusing on getting out of your perspective into their perspective, so that the first time you write their voice, it starts to feel different right away.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: love that. Yeah. See, and to get like a little, you know, hokey big magic uh elizabeth gilbert hokey for a second like understanding you know she talks about in her book big magic creativity being amused that's separate from the rest of us and Mm. you have to think of your characters that way too Right, like the question isn't like, what do I want to use this character for to push the plot forward? The question is like, who is my character in this moment right now? And how can I really get into their head? And so it helps to visualize your characters as something separate from you and not as an extension of you. As long as you're thinking of your characters as an extension of you, they're going to sound like you. So pushing away from that is important.
0: I love that because um, I've read the big magic, but I have always thought my characters are separate because the little fuckers don't do what I say. So like, it's so annoying. I, I, you know, in um, the last book that I was writing, there was a scene that just wouldn't work. And I was like, what is wrong with this (laughs) scene? And it's literally because, you know, and I I sort of metaphorically took one of my characters to the side and was like, dude, what is wrong? And the way I'd written the reaction. Um, so, so basically, um, that a mother abandoned them when they were teen, young teenagers. And I had assumed that my character would just want to make up. And, um, you know, they're, they're quite a loving, positive character. And, and the character, you know, like I, I say, I sound insane. Like I actually had this well, conversation th- with the character, but yeah. they were pissed. They were pissed at the mom, right? And and so when I rewrote the scene, all of a sudden it worked. And I was yeah. like, the, like how these? I swear they are sentient. Like I swear they are." Yeah. Sentient.
1: We at at work we talk all the time about having voices in our heads yeah. about how like you're tapping into the voices in your heads. And you know, before I was a writer, back when I was just like doing nonprofit work, um, I would hear authors talk about that stuff because I've always been a heavy reader. So I'd hear authors talk about that stuff, and I was like, "Y'all are full of shit." Yeah. <laughs> So like, I get this little game that i just playing of like, my character is an entity unto himself, and I have conversations with him. I'd be like, y'all, or that is some bullshit? Yeah, y'all <laughs> be making stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, y'all help. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, um, but no, it's it is it is true and it is real that if you can mentally detach yourself from your character so that they are their own, you know, sentient thing in your mind, then um, you can create characters that sound different from you and defeat that mono mouth um and i do just want to come back for a second to the idea of archetypes because if if you know if we're talking about archetypes and you're like i don't know what a policeman's like let's say that you are extremely introverted and just a total shut in and you hate talking to people you're like i don't know what you're talking about like people sound different from each other i don't talk to people i only talk to myself um When I was a teenager, I had the opportunity to go to Amsterdam and I got to walk through the Van Gogh Museum. And one of the things I loved in the Van Gogh Museum more than anything else was his sketchbooks. Uh, Because I was so... Like, when I think of Van Gogh, I think of these, like, you know, paintings that, like have an emotional content but not a like oh that doesn't necessarily i know that's a flower but it doesn't look like a flower but it's you know i can feel that it's a flower um so to see that he was doing this very technical sketching of like trying to get people's hands just perfect and trying to get people's faces just perfect really shocked me because it's like oh like he wasn't drawing in this um you know emotive way because he had to because he wasn't capable of trying other ways like he actually sat and practiced this craft and you can do that too so like turning on a television show you like to watch and getting studying a character for 30 minutes turning off that television show sitting down at your computer and trying to replicate that voice right Mm -hmm. like just getting into the details asking yourself the details of like what does that voice look like because writing is a muscle Right, like, and just like we have to go to the gym and exercise our arms if we want big biceps, we have to go to the writing gym and exercise character voice if we want truly unique characters. So just sit down and start trying to write those different voices that you hear in the world around you. You know, like if you have um, a, a relative who's close to you that you love, you know, sit down or, I mean, I hope you love them. Sit out and <laughs> write the voice that uh you hear in your head when you hear them. maybe not share that with them, but <laughs> sit down and practice like getting that voice out and working those archetypes over and over again. And that's gonna help you start to create characters that are separate from your own head. Right. Mm-hmm. Like If we start with the intention of like, I'm going to write this other voice and practice that over and over, we can start to build that muscle so that when we're ready to write our novel and we sit down and all of a sudden we find our character in a coffee shop talking to a barista and we want that conversation to be entertaining, we can now put a voice into that in that varissa that is separate from our character and separate from us and we have a dynamic and energetic conversation that's like creating this empathy and this wonderful moment of kind of joy for a reader Um, yeah
0: yeah, I love that. And I have a in my notes app on my phone, I have a file literally for stealing dialogue. So like when I'm when I'm watching films. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, like when I'm watching films or a TV series, if someone says something brilliant or or I'm like, oh, that was so weak or whatever. I um I will literally pause it, rewind it, and type it down in my notes file for like later analysis because I am well, that much bad. of a loser. No,
1: that's not a loser at all. That's somebody working on their craft. That's yeah. what that is. <laughs> yeah that's working out
0: okay right what are the most common mistakes other than mono mouth and everybody sounding the same what are the most common mistakes that you see authors making with dialogue
1: so mono mouth is everybody sounding the same i also have uh there's one that i think of that i internally called stone mouth which is my character's voice never changes meaning that regardless of the circumstances around my character my character always sounds the same right like um Let's just take like Han Solo, the like roguish, you know, cowboy-esque character who's got wisecracks and jokes and sarcastic and is a little pessimistic. When the stakes get high, he he shouldn't still be wisecracking, right? Like it's that kind of, it's, but a mistake authors make is he is wisecracking. So all the characters sounding the same, the character's voice not moving when it's supposed to move um a higher level thing that i see authors doing uh that i find myself talking to them a lot is um not lining up the emotional flow of their characters so um if you think about your scene as uh kind of the like rough kurt vonnegut-esque plot sketch where like you know vonnegut said there's only so many kinds of plots there's like man in a hole where like the the story starts high and then goes low it, like starts positive and then goes negative for the character there's like a man on a climb with the char- with a plot the the character's like down in the dumps and then by the end of the story he's going to be uh this champion of the world there's like the dip where it's like it starts high goes low and then comes high again right like your scene has an emotional flow like that too and so like a lot of things writers miss is thinking through like what's the emotional flow of this scene my character's starting feeling this way. How are they going to feel at the end? Right? So missing that, like, emotional movement of your character, it, it will happen naturally if you're not focused on it. But this is an editing technique I like to use is coming back to the scene and being like, okay, where did they emotionally start and where did they emotionally end? And how, what was their voice at the beginning? What was their voice at the end? And when I start the next scene, should they be in the same emotional state? And if they're not in the same emotional state, what transition am I creating for the reader so that they know that the emotional state has changed? right? Like, so thinking through that emotional state, and then when you when you start really having fun with it, you start asking what are the emotional states of all the characters in the scene? right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I find protagonists and antagonists should be in the reverse. So if the protagonist is super happy at the beginning of the scene, the antagonist should be upset. And, it, or vice versa, if the antagonist is super happy at the scene, at the end of the scene, the protagonist should be upset, right? Like we should see them crossing so that we can feel the uh, tension between them. Uh, allies, when we're talking about like two people on the same page, ideally, if, they're, if one of them is feeling vulnerable at the end of the scene, the other one should be too, right? Now that doesn't mean their voices sound the same because remember, we're moving their voice into vulnerability from a base root. So Han Solo and uh, Luke Skywalker, when they're, both, when they're both at a moment of vulnerability, are going to sound different, right? Like Luke always tended to get a little more uh, weepy and sentimental as things got closer, whereas Han tended to get uncomfortable as things became more vulnerable. So you get the dynamic between the characters if you're not suffering from Monomouth and you've created these different voices. When you move into vulnerability, you can feel that that engagement, that intimacy building between the characters and the reader because their voices are uniquely themselves. But thinking about like, so how are these characters changing and how is that change complementing or... um harming what i want to do with the scene so if you want to raise tension with the scene and your characters are starting happy and ending happy then you you are hurting the tension you're wanting to raise in the scene with your emotional model right like so do things in the scene that make your characters feel that tension and their uh, voice should change indicating to the reader that there is tension building in the scene, right? Like, cause it's all this big conversation between the reader and the characters.
0: Okay, so in, let's get nitty gritty. Um, yeah. In technical terms, how do you represent that emotion or any, any kinds of emotion in dialogue?
1: Sure, yeah, okay, let me ask, uh, clarify. How do I represent it as a writer? Or how, do I, how does the reader see it?
0: How do you create emotion in dialogue?
1: Okay, that's great. Um, <clears throat> a lot of that depends on the care. Sorry, I had to kind of gather my thoughts there for a second.
0: No, I know. I threw it at We're you, so I'm sorry. Say, no, no, it's a great, <laughs>
1: great question. So, it, first off, you don't need to learn a different skill to do this, right? Like, as a human, your primary conveyance of how you're feeling is your voice. Right, whether that voice is expressed purely through body language or whether it's expressed through the words you're using, you know how to do this because you talk all the time. When you're angry at somebody, how you talk to them changes than when you know you're just having a laugh, right? Like so, you innately have in you what it means to emote differently. Um, the trick is how do we get that into onto the page? And so I really do think it, it, it's going to sound reductive. It's not. It is about taking a step back and understanding who your character's voice is from the beginning. What are the qualities of the voice, right? So I always start a novel with a short story. All of my novels have come out of short stories. And that's not because <laughs> I think the short story is some grand art form. It's because I need to... Sp- Spend 2,000 words with a character's voice before I can put that character into a full novel, and so there is technically there's just some experimenting and getting the base voice down, and pushing that character into a scene uh, that's going to force you to change that voice because the you know <clears throat>
0: that's so a, sorry lot of I, prep work.
1: I, I it is to, just I, doing. I,
0: it. I have to dive in here because this is so interesting Um, and I write a lot of flash fiction. I'm not very good at writing short stories, but I do a lot of flash fiction. And until you just said that, I didn't realize quite how many of my stories have come out of flash fiction. So the reason I do flash fiction is because it's a short, sharp snapshot almost of a character on steroids because you have to put so much of that character into that very tight amount of words that you have no choice, but to almost over represent them. And the two story, the two novels that I'm working on next year, the scent of death and uh, murdering magicians, um, the very first thing I did with both of those was a piece of flash fiction because I didn't have the whole novel. And so that's so interesting that you just said that. I'm sorry, I had to, like, oh no, it's I was epiphanizing um, over <clears throat> <this.
1: laughs> Again, like, so to go back to the question that I'm poorly answering, how do you technically <laughs> do this thing? There is all kinds of, like, think of getting your characters' voices down, especially your protagonist, your antagonist, like your main character's voices down. Think of it as building a relationship with them. And a relationship takes time, right? Like we get to know people by spending time with them. So you want to spend some time with your characters. And that's why this, like you writing flash fiction, me writing a short story with my character, that's what we're doing. We're just getting acquainted. Right, like we're getting to know each other a little bit. There's ways you can accelerate that. You can find a picture, like I know writers who find a picture of their character and post the picture up somewhere because the visual cue helps them. I tend to have a little chart of like, here are the five adjectives that describe my character. My character's kind of root voice, and I put that up. Once you get familiar with your character, I think of uh, we at work, we call it putting it in your mouth. So when you write your character, you put that character in your mouth. Uh, We've I've also talked to it about like putting on your character's glove. So you like it's but it is like putting on a piece of clothing to write that character's voice. Um, the weird thing is, is that as you, what you're going to find where this illustration breaks down is what you're going to find is that when you're writing a scene, you're changing gloves like every three or four sentences. Um, so the illustration breaks down, but it's completely true as to what's happening. But so there's technical tricks you can use, right? Pictures of your characters and descriptions, based descriptions of your characters. Uh, that wheel I was talking about that ha- like helps you understand how your characters are moving over time. Um, if you come to the site, I had somebody at the site, email me yesterday. Can I have a copy of that wheel? I was like, yeah, sure. So if you come to the site and just shoot me, just hit me up on the site and ask for a copy of it. I'll send it to you. Uh, Cause I just literally use a Google sheet to build it. Um, So all that to say, like, there are these kind of technical tricks you can use, uh, but I don't want to say, like, just use these tricks and it's going to be okay, because the the idea is get to know your character, spend some time with them before you decide to write a 500,000 word, you know, um, historic romance through a jaunt uh, in medieval England like spend time hanging out with your character a little bit first short stories flash fiction is a great way to do that writing the first chapter um, and making sure there's a ton of dialogue in it uh, just Mm -hmm. to get your character's voice down Um, all those kinds of things uh, can help you uh, launch off on the right foot Um, and if you can launch off on the right foot then uh, your work is super easier uh, as you go through your novel, we can avoid that, like, second, third, and fourth edit where you're rewriting your character's voice over and over again.
0: Okay, so uh, I, I'm going to ask one last question before I ask the question of the podcast. Um, ha- what advice do you have um, for managing a large cast of characters? Because, large casts
1: are the best. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah like ha- Because... Obviously we've talked about all of these different things that people should be doing. And it seems like a lot of work. And I know people must be feeling probably quite overwhelmed by all of the information. So like, and that's only going to be magnified by 10 X if you have a huge cast of characters. So, you know, how, how do you, how, how the fuck do you manage a really big cast of characters?
1: So, and let me just, so I have to say before we, talk about how to manage a huge cast of characters and i'll I'll share with you the the major error i made in my first series but before (laughs) before we do that um i just want to say don't be overwhelmed right like don't be overwhelmed this is this is joy right like getting to know your characters um is fun and so don't let it stress you out and it's going to take a little bit of time it's going to take a little bit of practice, but, uh, this is improving our craft and becoming a better writer, uh, which should be our goal, you know, especially in this world where readers consume obsessive series and like Mm. want to read like 15 books from a character, you know, know that you're going to spend a lot of time with this character. So, uh, take that as, um, excitement, and fun of like okay i'm going to dive into who this character is i think that'll go a long way if you if you refuse to stress out about it and think of it more as um an adventure and working out your your writing muscles um this will be easier so just to say like be positive it's going to be great you're going to create amazing characters that the world (laughs) is going to love right like so this is just the first step on the journey to doing that um all right
0: also sorry just to interject if anyone can hear like a very odd vibrationy type sound it's my cat purring she sleeps on my desk Aww, So <laughs> yeah sorry for anybody who can hear purring in the background
1: yeah yeah it's funny yeah that's uh, we're having this conversation super early in the morning my time um because my house is so insane <laughs> <laughs> during the day but it's like i need to do this at oh dark 30 in the morning yeah. uh because otherwise things are just gonna yeah i tend to yeah i tend to put my own podcast up at like midnight because it's like otherwise the house is insane uh and even then i put like a 17 year old playing playstation next to me um, so <laughs> it's just crazy town uh so sorry back to the question um i will try to be less distractible uh how do you manage a, a large cast um so when i wrote my first book uh i had a cast of 9 main characters um which I was super excited about. I was so, so excited about, you know, the rebel in me, which I don't recommend this, but the rebel in me was like, screw genre conventions, screw what everybody's expecting. I'm writing a superhero horror thriller with a the lead character being a reporter uh, that's also going to have uh, homeless, magical powered people and monsters, right? Like, so just this crazy, but it th- made me have this ginormous cast. Uh, and I just jumped into it. I wrote short stories for a couple of the characters. I was like, I got their voice and I just went in and I, I, I spent uh six months. Well, it was my first book. It took me eight months. I wrote the whole book, you know, edited it, published it. I was super excited and I was exhausted and I took a two month break and I came back to write book number two in the series. And, um, I had these nine characters and I could not remember how half of them sounded. <laughs> it like was just lost. I was like, wait, I haven't written that specific voice for like six months. And I have no idea how they're supposed to sound. And now I'm in big trouble because I wrote book four uh, two years ago. And book five has just been sitting in the back of my brain for like working on the plot. Because much like you said in other podcasts, Sasha, I'm not ready to write a book until I'm ready to write a book so i gotta work that plot out in my head before and i just cannot figure out how to get these characters to the place that i want them to get to so i'm just like living with this book in my head for two years and i'm in, so like i'm gonna have to go back and read the other books because to get those character voices back um so just diving in to a large cast is not a good idea <laughs> technically what i recommend is you need to have something permanent that's going to help you remember those voices a long time, and I wouldn't do this for every single character you're going to interact with, but for your main characters, just take thirty minutes and describe their voice to yourself. Mm-hmm. Just three to four adjectives, right? Are they extroverted or introverted? Um, do they uh, are they uh, fun loving or serious? Do they um, Do they speak uh, with short words or do they use long words? Do they have short sentences or are they rambling on for hours and hours and hours, talking and talking and talking, just filling the page up? Are they a big personality when they enter the room or do they like to be unnoticed when they enter the room, right? Like what, how do you describe, if you were to describe this character's mannerisms to somebody, what is that like? You don't need a ton. Right. Like just five short sentences or phrases about the character not even complete sentences, but just five little things that are going to remind you about who the character is. Put it in a chart somewhere for a large cast and give it what's really nice about doing a large cast of characters is that if you're building that kind of five sentence chart, line them up and make sure they're different. If all of your characters are shy and all of your characters um, when they enter a room want to go unnoticed and all of your characters are sarcastic and all of your characters are pessimistic and all of your characters uh, like to make wise cracks, you're suffering from monomouth Cause they all sound like you, right? Like, so <laughs> make sure that they all sound separate when you line them up and make sure you have that list of adjectives somewhere where you're going to be able to keep it for years. Because.
0: You know, yeah. you you know, you said about the, um, Circle thingy that you people mm-hmm. can email. Is that is this part of that?
1: Yeah. So I d- the first so that just to describe the chart that I use for my own writing is the middle column, right? I will have characters. So if you think of if you think of a spreadsheet, um, the rows are my characters. So I'll just have the first column is just their names, and then I'll skip over like three columns, and in the middle column I'll have root voice. Across the top. And that middle column, I'll have just like this five phrase description of their voice. Sometimes I'll even write a phrase. So, like if a character has a catchphrase or a character has something that, like, you know, they're going to say, you put it in that. So, um, <laughs> for example, I was one of the first characters I wrote. I wrote uh, a a book called Mark and all the magical things. And I really wanted to write the whole goal of the book was to write a character that has anger issues and watch him move through those, like come to terms with his own anger issues. Um, It was a fun book because he also uh, has conversations with inanimate objects, which is fun, but this, like he has these, uh, he's there helping him process through his anger. So uh, in his description underneath his like five, phrase thing i had the phrase just shut up and leave me alone because that phrase just like exemplifies who he is right like just shut up and leave me alone and then underneath that i'm stacking all of the voices in that middle column so i can see if they line up to the right i have whatever vulnerability looks like in this story So if I'm thinking through my story and I'm thinking through like, okay, my characters are going to have moments of intimacy and vulnerability where they're revealing who they truly are and they're letting their guard down. And I'll go like two to three columns to the right where I'm writing that progression. So when Mark, that character, when his common voice was angry and sullen and explosive and lashing out with a quick fuse, right? Like if those are my five things, I don't actually remember, but that's just off the top of my head. And then I'm moving to the right to vulnerability. I want that anger to transform to humor and I want him to become slowly um, less explosive and more accepting. Right So I'm not just going to go like from explosive to accepting. I'm going to move it gradually. So maybe he goes from like explosive to um, still excitable but hesitant. And then maybe he goes from still excitable to hesitant to um, uh, less judgmental. and then maybe he goes from less judgmental to accepting of others around him. Right, like so we're moving from like exposure to vulnerability, and then I'm gonna go like two or three columns in the other way, right? Like when he's under extreme anxiety and stress, whatever that looks like. So, like, if you're writing a mystery, extreme anxiety and stress may be uh, struggling with the case, right? If you're writing a romance, extreme anxiety and stress might be separation from the love interest, right? If you're writing a drama, extreme anxiety and stress might be. uh, a struggle with um uh, a particular thing in life like you can't get the house sold so like what happens when your character is at the pit of like failure right might be the the anxiety and the drama so like take it to the left three columns of drama and again remember you're moving gradually like how's this character moving in each column a little bit more toward anxiety and stress what you're going to end up with is this great chart of like you know let's say you've got nine characters which is a ton you've got nine characters root voice and then you have how they all change and then you can start mixing and matching right like so if character number five is your antagonist and character number one is your protagonist um, you can see like okay as my protagonist becomes more secure in who they are and more open in who they are my antagonist on is going to become more stressed and anxious how do their voices complement and contrast each other right like and so you start to get this kind of that's why we call it that's why i call it a wheel because you're kind of turning your that's the that's the trick i use for so is this uh,
0: is this template part of your um autoresponder sequence because this is like 50 shades of genius and if you don't it's either oh my, my god oh my god
1: yeah, <laughs> Yeah, so you, no, if you, you, you either... sign up for my email list on my website you get five diseases that um others suffer from mono mouth and stone mouth or two of them and then you end up getting three exercises you can do to fix those diseases but i haven't put the character wheel as part of my uh part of my autoresponder but okay, i should so, well Not if sure. you I if should.
0: you don't then you either need you either need to have it as part of your giveaway to, <laughs> or you need to monetize it because i would pay good money for this template That's so funny. yeah uh, like, well
1: right now i'm just giving it away so if you've come to the site to email me i'll just email you your own copy of it so okay,
0: i am emailing <laughs> you because i need this in my life it's genius um okay and so very important book for the love of god tell me you are writing a nonfiction book about dialogue, a very comprehensive tome that is all about everything you need in dialogue. Because if you if you say no, I'll well, have to lynch you. So
1: it's so funny, Sasha, because like so let's just like I'm just gonna put down the um whatever mask I had up, which I don't think I did, but if I did, I'm putting it down. Um we're moving to the right on my chart. Uh so <laughs> um you know I'm two months into this like this is stuff that I've been doing at work for six years. So it all just kind of like comes out from me. Yes. It
0: needs to come out from you on the page. Yeah. And by the the way,
1: so So just to be clear, like um, writing simulations is very different than writing novels. Uh, So what I'm doing is taking a skill set that we use to write simulations and I'm applying it in a completely different world. Um, So that's why a lot of this, I think feels strange because like, you know, I, well, on on my podcast, like I'll have my friend Rachel on, or I'll have my friend Laura on, and they're all simulation writers too. And to them, this is like, yeah, no, this is this is what we do. Um, so it's just, I'm all I'm doing is taking a skill set that uh, we use in a different part of the world and bringing it to writing. Um, so that being said, uh, I'm two months in. I have started. I am I am working on a uh, book with Jay Thorne. Uh, that you've written in the series nine things authors don't do um
0: but these books are short i want a tome (laughs) i am demanding a tome so
1: i'm i'm working slowly building out probably in 2021 early 2021 uh my hope is to build a book that says like okay from the start of your novel to the end of your novel let's talk about writing your dialogue and Mm -hmm. it's i'm not like robert mckee wrote a tome right on dialogue and so if you want a tome go read robert mckee no i don't want his
0: time i want everything
1: (laughs) (laughs) everything robert does uh, robert McKee does is amazing uh what i'd rather do is write a practical book that's like hey here's how we do this step by step so i am working on that probably 2021 Um, that is
0: excellent news i
1: am slow uh and i am you know just as a person like if you're gonna build my character chart which i actually recommend you do like build your own because it's it's fun. Speaking about like how psychology works, there's nothing worth therapeutic than building your own voice chart. Uh, so, oh my god! So, oh yeah.
0: oh wait, you you literally me. Oh no, I couldn't do that. Though. Oh horrible. yeah, no yeah, I build have, your I, own. No, how do you no, 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 no. respond
1: to moments of anxiety and stress? How do you respond when you're more vulnerable? <laughs> how do the people around like like this is therapy? Like how do the people around you do it? Yeah. How are you interacting with those people, and what tension is that creating? Yeah. Um, yeah. Just to throw more in there, another thing that's great to ask your characters if you're not getting the character chart and that like the nine things aren't working for you, you can always go CBT, the cognitive behavioral therapy and be like, okay, thoughts, feelings and behaviors are all connected. What's my character thinking? What's that? What, what thoughts, how are those thoughts impacting their feelings? And because they feel that way, why are they behaving the way they behave? Right? Like, so when you're talking about that center root column, that's another way to get at it is thinking like thoughts, feelings, behaviors. How is, how is that happening? But all that to say, like, um yeah part of the reason i'm hesitant to talk about a book writing is because if you were to build my center column you would find uh self-deprecating and incredibly self-conscious and um constantly worried uh that uh everything he's saying is bullcrap so like that's that's my character incredibly apologetic right like that's my character trait um so yeah so forgive me for being like i don't know when it's gonna happen it's gonna i i mix my uh my self uh loathing with uh a deep uh fear that nothing will ever get done so i become an extremely productive um and obsessive compulsive so it will happen in 2021 but if you ask me about it again you'll just get a, a rambling babble of nervousness
0: oh i um, will i will be asking you about it again in my column is a demanding bitch i think is probably one of the things you'd find in mine so- it's awesome
1: sasha i need more of you in my life i need you to be just <laughs> calling calling me and be like hey it's the demanding bitch on the phone yeah. i'm here to find out where your book is
0: no, no 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 it would be where is your fucking book i want the fucking book <laughs> you have to swear words Will also awesome. be in my column
1: that's fantastic
0: (laughs) amazing okay right we we have talked i cannot believe how long how long we've talked because it feels like a second but um
1: it's been fantastic hasn't it yeah i've I've had
0: an absolute blast okay so most important question of the podcast this is the rebel author podcast so tell us about a time you unleashed your inner rebel
1: So I, you know, I've been thinking, I listen to your podcast, like I said, and so I've been thinking about this question a lot and it's a tough one for me because I gotta say like as a systems thinker, um, who's worked in very traditional spaces, being uh, unleashing my inner rebel and like rejecting status quo and trying to see things differently has kind of been my career path for the last 20 years. Um, and there's times where it's gone really, really well. And created really, really beautiful things, and then there 's times where it 's been really painful and created massive failure, so like you know I was clergy for a while working in churches, and um, you know as a clergy working in churches, looking at the system of how i the my tradition did church at that time and saying like hey i don't think we need this Sunday more than gathering like that was a big rebel move that was seriously painful because it caused me to be like rejected by my profession so right like there 's a lot of like you know so I love I think being a rebel is an aid in who I am and it has caused pain and joy or like there was a time where we were like, hey, we need to find like I have a, my 17 year old kid now was in second, first grade and it was like, hey, we need to find a different way to educate this kid because the systems around us aren't working. So we joined with a whole bunch of other parents, and we built a charter school from scratch that was like arts integrated and um, based in like a reggio emilia style that was like super progressive, and that was a beautiful five years. Like you know, we when we finally stepped away from it, um, there was this existing elementary middle and high school there that like is still serving the city around us so like that's being a rebel sometimes has been really amazing um but all that to say like it's hard to pick one moment so if i was going to say like in my author career where (laughs) part of my rebelness and i'm going to share this story because i think it'll it'll help other the hardest thing to do i think as an author is figure out what to do with your first book because your first book is always super personal and in my experience so far everybody's first book is some kind of weird fictional autobiography i don't mind was so <laughs> we're taking all these stories we have in life we're like i'm gonna tell these stories in fiction and people are gonna love it uh no one loved my stories um so anyway all that to say like my first rebel thing was i i had all these short stories and then i was like i'm gonna write a book and i'm gonna write a fictionalized version of my own experience and um I started to put it into the world and I started researching cause I'm an obsessive researcher. So I started looking at like, how do you publish a book? And I was reading about the traditional way to publish a book, like, you know, find an agent and query letters and all this stuff. And <laughs> I called a friend, and I was like, who, who was writing books in the traditional world, and I was like, how did you get an agent? And she was like, well, you know, it's kind of a lot of it's kind of networking, and it has to do with trust, and you have to build a relationship, and it's about feeling each other out. And I was like, fuck that. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm 36. I don't have time to, like, I'm 36. I got five kids. Like, I don't have time to... Dude, so that was a big rebel moment for me that drove me to indie publishing was, was like, I'm just going to fucking do this thing on my own. Like I'm going to build my own audience. I'm going to do this. Um, yeah. That was one that's worked out for me. Right. Like I wouldn't go back to this is, I am this is not me banging on traditional publishing. I think it's a beautiful industry with amazing people who love books and bring fantastic things to life. But for me, there was no other route to go but indie because I, I did not have the patience to stand in line. Um, I did just, I saw the line of people looking for agents, a uh, metaphorical line of people looking for agents and trying to get, and I was like, I, that is, I'm not standing in that line. So <laughs> that was a terrible moment for me. But sometimes they backfire. Like when I was writing short stories, uh, I was trying to get them published in other places. And again, I found myself standing in the line. And I was like, I don't stand, it. I'm not standing in the line. I don't have time to stand in line. So I started my own uh, short story journal online it's still running it's called short fiction break and i was just like hey all authors come come and let's just post our stuff like it's gonna be great we're gonna have this journal and we were i was i like it blew up pretty quickly and short fiction break i was ending up like spending hours every night reading other people's stuff (laughs) I'd been an author for like two months, and I'm like spending hours reading other people's stuff, like trying to like, how do I post this? Like, what am I doing? Um, I did it for a year and a half, and finally, a, a, a good friend named Joe Bunting, who runs the right practice, was like, "Can I take that from you? And I was like, Please take it." So, and Joe and his uh, editor, main editor Alice, do an amazing job over at short fiction break and run it. Um, very professionally far more professionally than i was running it so uh so that's a time being a rebel kind of backfired on me where like i got it way in over my head um but yeah so it's anyway.
0: not a backfire that is an enormous success <laughs> i'm not gonna i'm not gonna take any of this bullshit self-deprecating nonsense from you oh. you're fucking amazing oh. and i'm not having anything else other than <laughs> the goddamn book from you i want that book
1: all right <laughs> Sasha, I'm going to put a picture of you on my bulletin board right here with the he phrase underneath it. Give me the goddamn book, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. please do. I Use it as motivation. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, right. Tell listeners where they can find out more about you and your books and your services and all of that good stuff.
1: Yeah, so the best place to find out about Dialogue Doctor um, is to go to dialoguedoctor.com. I'm putting out a weekly podcast. Uh, the point of the podcast is like – so look, like working for nonprofits for um, 15 years before becoming a full-time writer uh, for this company, um, I made zero money, right? Like my wife and I literally lived on shoestrings and it was like, uh, can we pay the mortgage this month? Like it was and a lot of times we couldn't, like it was terrifying uh, financially. Um, we were doing amazing work in communities, but man, it, like they, that just doesn't pay. So. <laughs> So uh, I know what it is to start an author career with no money Um, because this is a small business and we are, you know, launching a small business with no capital is can be uh, difficult and frustrating and irritating. So I started doing the podcast to be like, hey, here's what it's like to sit with me for a session. Uh, If you can't pay for it, just listen to the podcast. It's free. And uh, the way we're rotating the podcast right now is uh, every other week I put up a session I've done with somebody with their permission. I'm not secretly recording people and putting their work online. Uh, So I put up a session I did with somebody um, so you can just kind of feel and hear what it's like. Uh, The Dialogue Doctor has a YouTube channel as well um, where you can watch us edit the thing. So the nice thing about the YouTube channel is that you can actually see the script we're working on. So find the podcast, uh, it's everywhere podcasts are, and you can actually listen to, to me and other authors talk about this stuff and live edit scripts uh, so that you can like get a feel. Ideally, you can do what we're doing and apply it to your own work. Every other week on the podcast, I bring on a friend. Sometimes it's uh, my mentor, Laura, who uh, taught me how to write dialogue. She and I come on and just talk about like, hey, what is it? What is it? What are tricks and tips and things we've learned about dialogue? Uh, Other times it's uh, my good friend, Rachel, who um, she and I used to write simulations together and then she got stolen by another company to write for them. Uh, And she and I analyze scripts together every other week uh, just for fun, looking at like, hey, these are amazing moments of dialogues and scripts. Like, how can we take what we're seeing there and apply it to our own work? So there's the podcast, the YouTube channel. Uh, If you want to find me personally, uh, I'm on Facebook. Jeff Elkins Writer is my Facebook handle. You can find me on Twitter, uh, J-F-F-E-L-K-I-N-S on Twitter. It's my name without the first E because when I created that Twitter account, I didn't know how social media worked. So (laughs) I'm there. Um, And you can find my books on Amazon if you want to read one of my books, uh, you know, my 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 fiction is its own thing um like i said my rebel nature has gotten me in trouble a lot with fiction because i don't necessarily have a genre um which is not great for sales and not recommended so uh and i do put out i put out a large um for my fiction i put out a large monthly newsletter uh that like every month i give um I give all the stuff that i 've been writing. I, I give recommendations to uh, things that i 've been reading. I read a ton, so I usually recommend two books in that newsletter every month and then uh, i 'll have you know seven hundred to a thousand words on what uh, is happening in my personal life. So if you want to follow me personally, um, don 't stalk me. just uh, sign up for my newsletter. Um, which you can find uh, on Amazon or my my personal website is called vagrantmisunderstandings.com. So you can find my newsletter at vagrantmisunderstandings.com.
0: Amazing. Thank you so, so much for your time today. Oh,
1: Sasha, thanks for having me on. This was like a dream come true. I love it
0: um okay well thank you also to all of the show's listeners and a huge thank you to all of the show's patrons if you would like to get early access to all of the episodes then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash sasha black i'm sasha black you are listening to jeff elkins and this was the rebel author podcast next week i'll be talking to scott king who managed to write a book in five days yep I'm not even joking, he wrote the entire thing in five days and that includes all of the outlining and the editing. So the actual writing I think was two days from memory. So it is going to be a super interesting uh, discussion about how on earth he did that and how you can write faster, uh, which I hope will help all of you doing NaNoWriMo. All right, until next week, have a great writing week. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.